Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and here is John Morris Esquire the fifth tonight with our sponsors. <laughs> Everybody, welcome back to Working Class Fishing. Thanks for tuning back in. Uh, this episode of Working Class Fishing is brought to you by CD Fishing USA, Anadromous Fly Company, Lid Rig, Angry Rooster Fly Company, 317 Flies, and Sheer Care Naughty Tackle. This evening, we've got a pretty awesome guest coming on. <laughs> it is none other than Mr. John Seals himself, the man with the biggest musky energy I think I've ever seen on Instagram. This is Plane underscore crank John. How are you this evening, man? I'm doing well, John and Brian. How are you guys? Doing good, dude. <laughs> doing great. Man, uh, I, it's, it's awesome to have another, uh, predator guy on, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things that, uh, we, we have quite a few listeners that love predator fishing, everything else. And, you know, here you are, we got, we got a, a guy that's big into the predator fishing, you, you know, you, you're in the zone, so to speak, where you live and, uh, you know, we're happy to have you. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I'm a bit weird because, uh, all the, uh, smallmouth fly guys that I know. Um, I won't say all, but a lot of them love the topwater eats, and I just couldn't care less. I want to, <laughs> I want to throw it in a pool, and I want to watch it disappear, or I want to see a boil underneath it, and just get that rod jerked out of my hands. I will take that over topwater any day, which doesn't sound, uh, it doesn't sound right to most people. But no, I, I like the streamer. I like the fish that eats other fish, um, and I don't mind not being able to see it. I like. Violence. I like getting shocked and and startled. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, dude. <laughs> Man, I, I you know just that that crashing. Yeah, uh, uh, our one of our good friends they just put up another podcast episode and they were and he was telling a story about catching bull trout and he hooked a whitefish and this bull trout t-boned the whitefish and I was just like, you know, uh, I would love to have that happen to me. That's like a one in a million thing. But what you're yeah. talking about there is where it's just just that smash that t-bone man <laughs> yeah yeah i love it and uh even though i had fished for a muskie a couple of times on and off over the last uh since i've been fly fishing uh it's really been the last three falls 20 21 and 22 that i have uh yeah you know i'm almost ashamed to say like I, like i wouldn't even go steelheading in the fall which is what i sh quote unquote should be doing <laughs> you know october november december you know, it's like, how cold is it? Well, you're going to be in your buddy's boat. So you're not waiting. So all you got to do is layer up and not fall in. And, uh, and they're supposedly eating footlong flies. I'm not going to turn that down. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to turn that down. I may save my steelhead in for March and April. Hell yeah, dude. John, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, uh, Maybe how you, how'd you get into fishing, dude? I got into fishing when I was 12. Uh, my dad took me, um, went to, this shop is no longer in business, Ed Shirley's uh, 
tackle shop and it was a big one in the suburbs of Chicago. And uh, I remember we got all the equipment and they were telling us where to go. And, you know, we started out with Zebco spin casting combos. And I think that day we took a couple dozen crawlers and a minnow bucket and caught a handful of bluegill and accidentally caught crayfish on the night crawlers too. <laughs> uh, I think because I caught a couple bluegill that first day, I was pretty hooked. And then uh, my dad liked it a lot. And so he just, I mean, it was like every Saturday or Sunday we were going fishing and we were always, you know, this is before the internet. So this was 85. So this is like, you're going into a bait shop asking for like the little Midwest newsletter. And you're asking the guys behind the counter, like, you know, where can we go? Like, we want to catch this, we want to catch that. And we'd run around to all the Cook County um, forest preserve lakes. And then, um, we just loved it. We started out with a lot of, a lot of bluegill, some crappie, some rock bass, uh, the occasional largemouth, a lot of bull, a lot of bullheads. Um, and then there's a, there's a big lake that spans, uh, Illinois and Indiana. Uh, well, obviously that's Lake Michigan, but the other one is Wolf Lake. <laughs> uh, is just south of Lake Michigan. And it's, we liked it a lot because um, it, it had a lot of public access. And at that point we started, we moved up to spinning combos, you know, cause spin casting, I, I, I think I bought for my daughter the most premium spin casting rig they had cause I was tired of the real tangling and it was still only $32. So, I mean, it's just, it's not, I don't know that that's for the serious angler. And, um, and at Wolf Lake, you still got the occasional panfish. They had yellow perch, which was cool, but we started catching big carp and decent sized channel cat. And it was literally just bell sinker, um, an egg hook, thread two or three pieces of corn on there or half an eye crawler, throw it way out, reel your line up tight so that you can watch the rod tip bounce and just sit there and talk. And then you'd watch that rod tip bounce and you set the hook and you got like a five or six pound carp on or um, you know, three or four pound channel cat. And when you're 12, you know, that's a shark. Uh, so that was just <laughs> a lot of fun. And, uh, then that was in, so we started in May of 85. Then by July, we graduated to the Kankakee river. One of his friends at work told him about it and told us where to go. And I mean, once we hooked some smallmouth, it was just like, there is no greater fish <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> and, uh, and, they just, and I think the first three or four times we went, we just really got into them in this tail out. It was, uh, it was a section that you just kind of had to hike through a lot of tall grass. So like we never had competition. There were never other anglers over here. And it was, it was just a beautiful glide that shallowed up into some riffles and we'd stand in the riffles and throw upstream into that glide. And uh, it was like money for us, probably for um, 15 years, you know, and uh, I loved it. You know, I just, I loved, I loved smallmouth, and uh, that was it. You know, that, that's how we got started. And it was a long time before I would come to the fly. I mean, I started fishing in 85, and I didn't fish a lot in my late thirties, um, mid, mid to late thirties, because it was all about, you know, going out and partying and who was going to get up at 6 AM on a Saturday. That meant you had to stay home on Friday and I just wouldn't do it. But, uh, you know, when I got into fly fishing in 2013, 
I started going back to it. And I actually went back to that same glide, that same tail out. And I, you know, I didn't really know how to cast. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to try it. And I know they eat crayfish. I know they eat minnows. So sure enough, Whitlock's near enough crayfish, probably 10 minutes. I had my first one on. And then I, and I think after the second one, I said, yeah, I'm fly fishing. Like that was it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a totally different experience. When people ask me about the difference, you know, I just say, I kind of quote the, the tight lines guys. I don't remember which one of it was, but it was in the out of uh, off the grid video. And it may have been Tim. And they said, it's not the fly fishing is cooler or better. It's, it's more challenging. And so when you have success, ultimately it's more rewarding. And I would agree with that. I mean, you could, if you like playing pickup games and you see your cousin at a park and you play and you cross him over and hit a three, that means something to you. If you go to a park and LeBron is there and he agrees to a pickup game and you cross him over and hit a three, which is not going to happen. It means <laughs> and I think standing in a river, um, handling all that line that you've stripped out, trying to read the seams, trying to put an accurate cast together, controlling the line, then presenting it, uh, setting the hook and fighting a, a decent sized fish. I, I just think it's, I think it's more challenging, you know? So uh, it's very rare that I pick up uh, spinning gear anymore, but I don't dislike it. I just would rather, I'd rather fly fish. I've even turned down some um, Lake Michigan charter trips with buddies because I, I don't want to troll. I don't want to sit there and wait my turn. You know, it's, that's just, it, it's not fun to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I still have to pay my share, so I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, those, those trolling trips, I, I, I can totally uh, relate to that, you know, because yeah, you're out on a big boat, you're out there trolling. I was going to ask you, did you go out on the big lake? Obviously not something that's too high on your list, but yeah, you know, when, when you're out there, you're throwing flies or you're doing your own thing, you got total control over that. That's, that's kind of the cool part is like, yeah. that's your world. That's your realm. You don't have to, you know, you know, play, play, uh, you know, trade out with the rods and all that. No, no. And, and actually, yeah, I do fish Lake Michigan quite a bit because I live in the West Loop, which is, you know, essentially downtown. If you're not from Chicago, it's downtown. So I can get to several harbors very quickly. And, you know, as a working dad um, and husband, I can't just always take long trips. Sometimes fishing for two hours is, is awesome. And also that's where I test a lot of my flies because I know like, okay, I got an hour right now. So I can run to the Harbor, throw this, see how it swims, see how quickly it sinks. Uh, Lake Michigan harbors pretty much spring through like turnover where the weeds start dying and it turns like a very cloudy, milky green. It's often quite clear. So Mm -hmm. those harbors can have, they can easily have 10 to 12 feet of visibility. So you can tie a big musky fly, you could punch it out there, and then you can walk it back and see. And what's funny is when you see big trout or steelhead tracking it, you're like, go ahead and eat it. I got the yeah, gear. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'd be like, go, go, go. I just stall it, you know, kind of give it a few little twitches. And I, oh, get it, get it, get it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like I got an 11 weight, Mr. Five Pound Brown Trout. So you're you're going to be history here in a second. <laughs> but uh, it's... um. 
yeah, I fish Lake Michigan a lot, but no, I just, it's the idea of casting. I think the idea of casting and presenting, you can't take that away from me. And that's what trolling is. It takes it away. And um, I just don't enjoy it as much. So yeah, I'm all about the fly. Hell yeah, dude. So like smallmouth, that's like your bread and butter. And and I know this because one of my buddies was like, dude, I'm I'm gonna try to go fish with John uh this year. And that was a <laughs> that that was uh Ethan. Uh Ethan was like, Yeah, he's uh I'm I'm gonna try really hard to get out there and go fish with him. But uh Dude, there's, uh, there's, it's hard to find a fish that you can just cons- not necessarily consistently, but that are readily available that fight better than a smallmouth. Like, no, no, you're right. You're right. I think that's the thing is, um, even though I've been musky focused a lot for the last couple of years, they, um, they don't reward you like smallmouth do with frequency. You know, I, I don't know what the greatest musky fly angler does like i don't know what their their hit rate is like are they one for two on trips you know is it like if they go out on 50 trips in a year do they catch musky 25 of those trips i certainly (laughs) am not (laughs) but like you know how great is the greatest musky musky fly angler i would love to speak with them how are you presenting like you know how are you reading the water but like the greatest smallmouth fly angler is definitely probably more than one for two or they catch so many per trip that even if they only catch fish 50 percent of the time they're catching half a dozen a dozen 20 30 fish i mean i I never had like a crazy smallmouth day like that like um like 20 or 30 i don't think on the fly but i had a day i've had a couple of days that were approaching it i just had to leave you know like i got it it was like it would be like back to back casts and then it would be like on the third cast and it was, and they were all, you know, pigs. And I'm just like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta drive an hour so I can go pick up my kids from school. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, what, like, what's my window? And you're like, one more cast, one more cast. Let me see. If I can get one more cast. <laughs> and, uh, just because of Chicago traffic, like, yeah, yeah. You know, my rivers are one is an hour South. Um, one is an hour west. I don't really love that one, but it, they've got it's got smallmouth. I just I just have very rare success. And another one's about fifty minutes west, and it's awesome. Um, but yeah, I have to time it. I know when I have to leave if I'm the one picking them up. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you know, uh, I, uh, to reiterate what you're saying, John, about smallmouth, that you know, it, it's odd to hear people say like, "Oh, I'm gonna go." do like this whole thing with like, I'm going to go target smallmouth. Now we have, we have some great smallmouth fishing in the summer here in the West. And I, I know there's guys out there that they're, they're banging smallies, like, you know, in the winter. Right. Uh, but, but it's not really something we really go after, but you know, for myself, I have a river here that will go camp for three or four days to do nothing but catch smallmouth. And we have salmon and steelhead and sturgeon. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the whole thing. It's like, why not go camp? Why not go have a good time? You know, uh, the, the, there's so many of them. And yeah, you're talking about those days where you bang a dozen. I, I, I would love for you to come out West just to show you this river. Cause I mean, it, it's been blown up and everything, but it would be so cool because you have such an appreciation for the smallie and they fight so good, but this river, you would see it and you'd be like, dude, this looks like trout and steelhead water. And then, and then you hug, you know, just hug one woolly bugger out there and watch it pop. 
pop, pop. And it's like, I, I totally get what you're saying with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you do. Cause they, they are a lot of fun and you know, um, six weight, seven weight, you know, especially like if you get something that's like 18 ish and on your six weight, you're, you can have moments where you're like, I'm not sure this is going to happen. Like he might break this yeah. rod. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I pretty much only use my eight weights. Um, because I tend to in April and May, I tend to throw big, big streamers and I need the eight. Um, I haven't hooked into a smallmouth yet, like a, you know, like a five or six pound smallmouth where you actually do need an eight <laughs> to turn them. Um, I, I think the biggest one I got was right at 20 and I've got several in the uh, 18 and 19 inch range. And yeah, but especially in the river, when they go downstream and broadside you, it's just like, yeah, I don't yep. know if I can pull this, this Sawyer back upstream. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's, that's what I love about them. They're just, they're just like river tigers, man. I, I absolutely love them. And especially when you catch them in fast current, like you're talking about a riffle with a flat and everything else, you know, or I, I can't remember you had a different term for it, but like, you know, your, your tail out and everything. And you just get up yeah. there, you know, you peel your line out and you just huck up there and you get a dead drift going and then it loads up and, and then you're just like that. And they turn broadside and they're just ripping on you, dude. Yeah. I love that. I love it yeah. so much. Yeah, I do too. I love it a lot. And I've gotten a couple here uh, out of the harbors. Um, they, they might as well be 20, 25 inch browns as far as like their spookiness, you know, because <laughs> the harbor, you can jog a lot and ride bikes along the edge. And a lot of times they are hugging the wall of the harbor because Michigan, most of our harbors, like you wouldn't want to step off, you know, it's, it's not gradual, you know, it's a lot of, it's like a, you know, probably like an eight, 12 foot drop but there's riprap down there and they're all hugging it. Uh, usually if you see them, they see you. Um, but uh, they, they're, they're a lot of fun down there too, for sure. Well, that, you know, John gave me some of the best advice. Uh, you know, I, I've bass fished and, and I was always just throwing like punch baits, you know, uh, cause I, I'm more of a conventional guy. I love fly fishing, but I fish a lot of conventional. Our rivers are really big here in the West, but and so, you know, fly fishing, yes, it works. It does. I'm not going to, you know, say it doesn't. But, you know, uh, John gave me some of the best advice fishing, like riprap and stuff. He's like, he sent me a rattle trap and some other stuff. And he made me some soft plastics when he was doing that. And, you know, just fishing that riprap, that, oh, man, craws and riprap. It's just like, yeah. it's magic. Because all that, that all, their, all the craws food settles up there, you know, it kicks out of the eddy. And so you're going to have craws up there on the rocks. And uh, you know, I took, I took a couple folks out and, and we, we threw some craws out there and hammered some smallies, reeled them up and they barfed out crawfish, you know, that, that yeah. was the thing, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we call, we call them crawdads, you know, but they, they barfed these crawdads out all over my boat with some like little freshwater clams and everything. It's like, dude, these guys are just like scarfing stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the bigger, uh, smallmouth that I caught, um, in the Harbor here in Lake Michigan, when it was fighting it barfed up an owl wife that was like seven inches long and it was so fresh. It looked like it ate it maybe like 15 minutes ago, you know? Um, but it, it was interesting to see it. You could see the blues and the purples on the back, you know, it's just, that's a, that's a beautiful bait fish. And um, it was just a little shocking to see it. It's slightly funny story on that. I had a telescopic net and um, 
and because the heart, the, the harbor wall is so high. And then once you get the fish to the surface, you don't want to have to like lift it up over the wall because of course, either your line's going to snap or he's going to shake and get off. So I telescoped it out, but I didn't make it click. And so I go to stick it in the water to land them <laughs> and the net slides off into the lake. No. And, uh, oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding a, uh, a net handle and like a 19 inch smallmouth that I absolutely want to catch because I'm leaving in like 10 minutes. So I'm not going to be able to try and catch another one. And uh, I just, I look at it and I'm like, well, you did good, John. You hooked them, you fought them. <laughs> You're just going to have to lift them over the wall. And so I grabbed my leader and I just, I tried to do like one sweep, li sweeping lift and I got him on the onto the bank, and I went, "Yeah, I got him! I got him!" I got him. <laughs> and then uh, I went back like two days later with a weighted streamer, and I started stripping where I lost my net, and I snagged my net and got it back. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, <nice>. skills. <laughs> and then I, I learned my lesson: like you telescope that rod, especially walking, just telescope it out and have it ready, make it click, and then uh, then you're good to go. I'll never do that again. <laughs> dude I, I lost the net one time i was i was waiting i was actually waiting for smallmouth in the in the ozarks dude i was waiting on this uh uh the upper end of this river down from this uh this put in we call it the uh car wash hole or the mm -hmm. <laughs> um dude and I'm, I'm waiting and i get all the way down and i'm about to turn back and start heading back upstream because i go i wait downstream there and um dude i was like uh i landed one more i was gonna i hooked one more trout and i was i was going for smallies but i hooked a trout and i'm pulling it in and i reach back for my net dude and it's not there it's oh, like no. oh shit dude <laughs> so <laughs> i i uh I, I do land that fish and then um my uh my name is burned into the side of that net so a dude actually found my net and hit me up on Instagram and was like, hey, is this your net? And I got it back. It's hanging on my wall right now. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, dude. Good, good karma. Yeah. So, sorry, my cats are up here being assholes. Dude, so the musky thing, you've been, how long have you been tying flies, man? I started fly fishing in October of 2013, and I started tying in March of 2014. Dude, you tie some awesome stuff. Oh, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. I uh, I practice a lot. You know, it's probably somewhat addictive now, and um, let's just say I have too many. <laughs> <laughs> it, they take up a lot of my personal storage uh in my office area like like i do have too much too much material for sure like i almost have a mini fly shop and then uh i certainly have like a mini streamer shop to say the least and i called through, you know i call through them every now and then it's surprising i've got a box of drunks like an umqua um bugger no it's not umqua who makes the bugger barn it's not umqua it's somebody else cliff cliff Cliff, yeah, Cliff makes them. The the yellow uh, ones, right? Yeah, I've got the big yeah. yellow one. It's full of drunks. They are all shit. Like, I'm looking at them, <laughs> and I probably, I, I must have tied them in 2016 or something, and, like, 
you know, my, you know, my skills get better, like every, depending on what I'm tie, what I'm tying, they can get better every, you know, three or four flies, certainly every couple of months and drunks probably like every year or so. And, um, yeah, and I don't know if you've seen some of Tommy's recent posts. Oh, dude, those are, I actually ordered, uh, I talked to Tommy today and I got, uh, I'm getting one of his, uh, olive ones with the red throats, dude. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Buck Rogers. Yeah. Dude, the Buck Rogers. Yeah. I, uh, that is one of my favorite guides. I just, I enjoy talking to him and I enjoy, I enjoy fishing with him. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but, uh, I do want to get out and fish with him again soon, but like, yeah, don't look, if you like to tie drunks, don't look at his. <laughs> you will, uh, you know, and I do, I do as well as I can. And, uh, and they work. I mean, they definitely work. I, um, I've had some people ask me for some, uh, and, and some shops even ask me for some, and, you know, I will, I will, I will actually sit on those and make those as perfect as possible. But when you look at his, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not a veteran. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His are pretty damn good. Pretty, pretty damn good. Cam Campbell's been tying a lot of D, uh, a lot of D and D's lately. He's he's doing a really good job with them. Yeah, yeah. He's he's in Michigan, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Yeah. So I've I've been tying for uh for for I guess about nine years. Um, and I, I probably started tying pike flies first because. I had no, I, you know, I really wasn't going to a lot of musky water um, a few years ago. And my friends go to Canada every spring. They're going this spring. I may not get a chance to go though, because, you know, that kind of trip, you know, I can, you know, realistically go on one of them because it's a week long. And if I go, I may go to, I think my buddy said Eagle Lake, Eagle Lake or Cedar Lake. But it's a it's a musky haven, and it's got musky pike and big smallmouth. Whereas oh, where my man. go in Ontario, that's much further east, um, in Ontario, it's pike, walleye, and some perch. But I mean, I, I think we've been a few times, and like I've only seen people catch pike and walleye and a whitefish. But there are no musky and there are no smallmouth in the, the lake that we normally go. to. So I'd almost rather say, well, let's go to the musky one that also has pike and has smallmouth. Yeah. Looks like I got a visitor. Yes. Hey, how about you go downstairs, please? Me to get something for you. You're going to need. Okay, you can get it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, and and so they're just... They're just different sizes, you know, and and I, I won't say they're different action too. I mean, it seems like when you tie a lot of pike flies, you're there just seems to be less of this concern about the crazy wayward motion. And I don't know if it's because they are overall less um, picky, you know? Um, yeah, they, they just kind of eat, you know? <laughs> yeah. It seems like you're doing less convincing. And I don't know, people that pursue trophy pike, like, you know, 45 inches and up, I'm sure they would say, no, no, it's almost just like a muskie. But, um, you know, my experience is, I mean, I've had like six, seven, eight pike days fishing for like three hours. 
And I've never had six, seven, eight musky days. <laughs> so, so um, I can't, uh, I, I personally cannot compare them. I mean, like we, you know, I fished with, um, I fished a few times uh, this past year with Dave Hurley. And, um, you know, we, we definitely say like, you move one up to the boat. I mean, that's kind of considered a success. And there aren't too many, I don't know if there's another freshwater species that you would say that. Like if you fished for eight hours and you moved one trout, I don't know if you'd consider that a success. If you moved one steelhead, maybe, especially swinging, that's probably a success. If you got a bump, um, I definitely guys that use the two hand almost exclusively. And they definitely feel like if they get a, a tug and then it gets off, they feel like they did something that day. Um, but with musky, yeah, it's like you don't even have to get any eat, and people feel like you accomplished something. <laughs> it comes in hot and then turns away at the boat. It's like, dude, I did better than you did. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what is it about musky? That's a, that's a you know, I've I fished for him once. I I'll, I'll fully admit, I've I've only fished for musky once. Went out, my friend bombed both of them. We put it, we put in eight to 10 hours on, on the river. This is up in uh, North central Wisconsin. Now we're, we're ripping, you know, conventional gear and, and that, but you just go out there and you're like, I'm working for this fish, man. I, you got to work for him. And it, you know, it, in my opinion, even though I didn't hook him, getting two on the boat in 12 it, hours. Yeah. Oh, you know, I mean, that's like, that's unheard of. I, I was like, this is serious stuff. That's a success. That's definitely a success. I, th I think part of it is, uh, part of it is almost like when someone tells you you can't do something mm -hmm. and you don't want to prove them wrong, musky, speaking in musk, muskish, because they don't speak English, are looking, <laughs> looking at you up in your boat saying, you can't tempt me. You can't catch me. And it makes you feel like you got to do it. And um, you, yeah, I just, you know, like I said, if I compared them to pike, because they're obviously close, same genus, just different species, they can mate, you know, um, uh, but they are different. You know, pike seem to be, uh, as I've, uh, I talk a lot to some of the guides that you undoubtedly have heard of for musky, like um, Gryeski, um, Willen. And they're just super nice guys that share so much information. But yeah, they have different metabolisms. So, you know, pike kind of kind of have to eat all the time and musky kind of don't. <laughs> and it is very obvious when you occasionally see one and you run a fly by him and he looks like he's asleep. <laughs> you know, like he's, he doesn't even see it. Um, or when they lazily follow one back. You know, I, I've had that a few times where I'm like, did you even want this? Because he is literally the equivalent of like shuffling through the water behind my fly. Like, ah, like I don't want to escort it out of my territory or maybe I'm a little interested, but, you know, I'm going to. Then, then they come up to the boat sometimes and just sit there. So they don't turn away. They just sit there. And you're trying to figure eight in front of them, damn near bumping the rod tip on their nose. And they just sit <laughs> there. And then they slowly turn around and they slowly start to swim away. And you try to pick up your fly and throw it back out in front of them. And they just completely ignore it. It's just not a lot of fish to do that. You know, um, the, the handful of times I've had smallmouth follow in, most of the time, once they, I guess, spotted me or the boat, they're done. They're out of there. Um, 
And I have had trout a few times, you know, follow, 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 and then they don't eat. And that my examples, they've done. I, I won't say that people can't catch that following trout. But um, with pike, a lot of times I can throw it back out in front of them. I, interestingly enough, and I had a lot of opportunity in Canada, um, the pike did not respond to the figure eight. Like the moment that rod tip went in the water, they, they, had, they spooked. And these were... And this was my few days on the water. I'm sure people figure eight pike all the time, but I was finding the figure eight was turning them off. And so I was better to just let the fly dangle and just twitch it, twitch it, twitch it. And um, if he started to back off, I would pick it up and throw it back out in front of him and sometimes get him. But yeah, with muskie, it's like, don't let that fly leave the water. If he's there, just keep figure eight and keep, you know, keep doing something, keep swirling it. So um, at least this past year, I got a lot of, for the few times I went out, I got a lot of visuals. You know, I had, um, you know, two days in a row with three follows each, which was pretty cool. They weren't hot follows. Um, and then I had another, uh, the day that I caught one uh, in Indiana, we, we had one show up on the fly um, like an hour prior. And it did that thing that I just talked about. It like showed up and then it just sat there. And then we both were throwing at it. We were both trying to figure eight it. And it was just kind of like, yeah, I see you guys. I'm not really interested. Definitely not biting either of those flies. And I think that's what it is. Like nothing else really seems to do that um, in fresh water. It, I mean, there's the thing is no one can pattern them. No one, like people know what they eat, you know, and people talk about moon phase. Are, are, you, a, are you a moon phase kind of guy? I don't know enough to speak to it. I know um, the one I got in October, it was right in the middle of the major. Okay. So, um, but that could be a coincidence. I mean, I feel like I need probably more data. Yeah. I need to probably fish majors and minors multiple times uh, a year and fish when we don't have a moon phase and fish during full and during new and during like waning and then do that for like five six seven years then i'll have some information right now <laughs> all i know is uh you know you, you book your day um either personally like okay i'm gonna take pto this day or like i'm gonna go out this day and kind of unless the weather's dangerous you just gotta fish and you know it's not like they only eat during majors and minors you know they they eat when they feel like it and if you got an injured bait fish in front of them, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there's an opportunity for them to grab it. It's just a matter of, you know, can you make it look real or can you, can you make them decide to, to grab it? Because even though follows are minor victories for muskie fishing, I mean, I hate to come home empty handed. I want to net that fish. I, I'm not one for the consolation prize, you know. I, I, need, I need to catch it. And that's what makes me happy. So what's been uh, one of your more favorite flies this season that you've been throwing a lot of? Um, probably what I have thrown the most this year has been some type of um, mega glider or some type of um, bucktail double. And... Um, with the bucktail double, it'll be very similar to a Buford, but rather than leave that big Buford head, 
I keep it dense, but I will trim it into into more of a um, fusiform fish shape. So okay, gotcha. um, the head is still dense enough to like push water and jackknife and turn, but the shape is a little bit um, more streamlined. So I have liked that. And the couple of eats I got this year were actually on that, that type of fly, two different colors. One was suckerish and another one was um, like this color that uh, Musky Fool does called um, Wisconsin MF and Flame. <laughs> it's just like, flame. Yeah. like electric, pastel peach orange you it's, know it's like, it's like super sherbet dude <laughs> yeah i mean it's very light and it, it it's not intense like a hot orange or fluorescent orange but it is bright and then um like that fly was 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 almost all white until i got to the back and the head and then i faded it because i mean every batch of mf and flame you get will be a little different in color so then i had like five tails so i just went from the light one all the way up to like the darkest, boldest one. And uh, that, that has, I feel like that has been, those have been my favorite. And then same with movement is the, the mega glider, which can move similarly. And um, everybody does them differently. I don't, I will probably have to do the dropper with the treble at some point, but I don't love that, uh, the idea of casting that. You know, I feel like there's more to go wrong, but um, my friends at Musky Fool, they, they do it and they, they have tons of success. So I definitely don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just, I do a, a big hook in the back that is smaller than the front hook. I will bend a shank um, and attach it to that rear hook and I will tie on the shank for a few inches and then I will bond that shank to the front hook, which will be larger and, uh, you know, wrap it to death put a hook in the shank so that it can't just pull out um, if you get a big fish on the back hook. And then I, you know, glue it, glue it down. I mean, it's, it's probably, I probably use a third of my spool to attach that shank. Cause I don't want it to move at all. Um, and all of my muskies have been from the back. So I am, uh, I'm kind of all in on that back hook that, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that, that fly does not come apart. You know, I, I think that was a little eye-opening to me. And I, I've heard a lot of people say it. And I've heard them say the T-bone is probably the most common eat, is the middle. But um, just because every every action that I've produced for muskie has been both side and they're following it, you know, everything has been from the back. And so I used to tie a lot of muskie flies that just had a big hook up up front and a lot of tailing material and I just completely stopped doing that I just you know just from the last couple of years I said well if you're gonna have one hook you'd probably rather have it in the back um I think the middle is probably the best but um I'm definitely not going to do just one hook up front and then have seven eight inches of tailing material so but those have been my favorite and that's what I've been tying and the mega glider takes a lot of time to learn too um there are some guides in in Minnesota that tie them really, really well. And then, and definitely like musky fool, they're all in on that mega glider. And uh, the first several I tied, like, you know, first they weren't that good looking. And I was like, yeah, well, whatever. And then I fished them and I'm like, yeah, these things suck. <laughs> and then I started making them much better looking. Like I could get the, uh, 
the taper down uh, so that it looked like this beautiful sucker. And then they still weren't swimming great. It was just kind of like, eh, you know, and I was like, what am I doing wrong here? And so, you know, I just kept asking guides and I kept practicing. And then, you know, I always fish what I tie. Like, I, I'm not satisfied with it just looking nice. It's got to move. And, uh, I finally got that density down to the point where now when I do that big, hard draw through the water, it will undulate, you know, just like an articulated fly will. But then when I pause, boom, that thing goes hard left or hard right. And, uh, and so, I mean, once I saw that moving through the water, I'm like, you know, I don't care if I catch one a day or not. Like, I'm confident in this action. So I'm just going to keep fishing it. And so that's what I've been fishing a lot of lately. Surprisingly, even though I love game changers, I don't fish a lot of game changers for muskie. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I just I really don't. I, I love them for smallmouth. I mean, I'll fish them all day for smallmouth. I just, I don't do them a lot for muskie. And then my friend Dave, he does, he does them all the time for muskie. Oh my God, a, Dave, his, his, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Mm. Dude, his, his changers, unreal. Like I, I talk to Dave frequently picking his brain about this stuff and I still can't tie one, uh, even like a, a 16th of as good as his, but I'm proud of each one of them. <laughs> He, he practices and he, uh, and he, he fishes them, you know, he will, he yep. will do the same thing. He will go nearby. Maybe he can't even like take the boat out that day, but he will get to the water and he will practice and see what he thinks of it. Um, and you know, that's, that's key is to throw it out there and then start varying the retrieves and see what does it do? You know, does it just snake through the water, which only catches to me, those suicidal fish that they were going to eat no matter what. But, um, or does it like cut hard and does it wiggle really well? And, you know, does it, is it erratic? Is it um, not rhythmic? And, uh, and that's, that's what he does. And he practices, so his changes are incredible. And he puts a lot of, a lot, there's a lot of architecture. There's a lot of structure into those. He is not just palmering material. He really no. is thinking through weight balancing and noise um, and shimmer. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love his changes. And you would be shocked at how big they are. Like uh, the, uh, the first time I went fishing with him, we went smallmouth fishing. But then the next time we went fishing, we went musky fishing in Indiana. And like he pulled out that just in case. And I was like, Jesus Christ, dude, how big are these changes? Like they, they go on forever, you know? And like, and he knows how to cast them. He's got saltwater experience. So, um, you know, he knows how to punch out, he knows how to punch out, um, a fly for distance and, uh, those things move, man. And they look great in the water and they flash like crazy. Um, and what I like about fishing with him is we will fish each fly. So I will do my bucktail stuff and he'll do that. And so we're probably in slightly different water columns in the lake, you know, and then we've got slightly different actions, um, probably different profiles. And, uh, that way then we're covering multiple bases. It's like if one guy wants to throw um, a suic and another guy wants to throw a bulldog or a bucktail, like that would be, I mean, until they start, until you get six on a bulldog in 30 minutes, why don't you both use something different? If that happens, you both need to change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of my, that's, that's one of my buds and one of my favorite people to fish. With. We, we have a blast out there. And it makes the day, um, 
it makes the day not as long or as tiring because obviously 11 weights, 12 weights, foot long flies, wind, <laughs> you know, picking weeds off of the flies. A lot of times it's cold. Uh, it can be, it can be challenging to say the least. Dude, it's a, uh, even, even casting my 10 weight for like long nose gar, dude. Mm -hmm. And like after a day of casting, uh, and that's just 350 grain, dude. That's just 350 on a 10. Yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ, my fucking shoulder hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I will drop down to my 10 weight to give myself a rest. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is hilarious when you think about when you think about fly rods uh when i when i first got into pike fishing i remember i dropped back down to my eight weight to give myself a rest from this 10 weight now i'm 10 weight i'm like man that's a toothpick you cast this all day <laughs> <laughs> so the, do you use uh use chippewa rods what are you throwing what's your stick uh, I, most of my musky fish, most of my musky fishing has, was probably on my 10 weight vaping, Reddington vaping. Um, and that's what I caught my first musky on and, um, most of my pike, but then, yeah, I moved up to, I've got a Chippewa two piece, 10 weight, um, which is, I never cast his one piece, but from people that have purchased several rods from him, the two piece 10 and 12 are as close to the one piece 10 and 12 as you can get. Like they're, they're very close, uh, very, very similar. And so, yeah, I fished with that. And then I fished with the uh, Echo Muskie, okay. um, nine foot, uh, I think it's nine foot, four inch. So it's a little bit longer. Um, and it's good for me. I'm not super tall. I'm six one, but um, figure eight in a boat, you know, that taller rod, it just makes things, uh, makes things a little easier for bend, uh, bending down and figure eighting uh it is not easy to figure eight with that 10 weight vaping because it doesn't have it doesn't have the true it doesn't have a musky butt it has a a fighting butt and um that's one thing i, I said like if i get any other musky rods and i may get an imx pro because i really do want one because i did cast one and it is a thing of beauty um it's just so it's it's just easy to cast um but it's got that that musky I shouldn't say musky butt, but that's what it is. You know, like <laughs> if back, you look at these rods and you think they're switch rods because that extended handle is so mm -hmm. long. But to, you know, to aid you with, with two hand casting sometimes, which I rarely do, but mainly to grab that with your other hand and figure eight, um, you get, you just get a much better figure eight when you've got those, those rods. So I, I tend to like the, the rods built for musky fish rather than just getting the appropriate weight, which is essentially a saltwater rod, and it, it, just, it isn't fun to cast. I mean, with Chippewa and with Echo and with the IMX Pro, I feel like whatever they were doing with the blank and that tip, they were designing those rods for people who are going to strip the entire fly line back and have to get the entire fly line back out of the rod tip and cast big flies all day. And I think that is more important to me than having that super stout butt section for turning something like, you know, a 60 pound or 80 pound tarpon, which like, I, I don't know that we need that. It just seems like we need to be able to cast all day so we can stay in the game. And if you do pick up like a 12 weight saltwater rod, uh, 
and you try and put on a mega glider and cast that, which I have done. Uh, it kind of sucks. <laughs> I mean, it sucks in about <laughs> five minutes. You know, like it does not take long. We're like this. This feels. This feels violent. <laughs> you know, this feels. <laughs> this feels like this rod was not designed for this purpose. And you know what? It wasn't. Well, you know? and, and you know when when you talk about that, John. One of, one of the big things is, is that you're talking about two totally different, really, methods. Muskie, you're kind of, you know where they live. Sometimes you see them, sometimes you don't. But when you're saltwater fishing, usually you're fishing in very clear water, shallow. You can see the fish and, you know, your guide, your captain or yourself, you're up there, you're looking out and you're like, you got to cast right there. And, and so you're, you're talking about a major limitation in the amount of casting effort. So, yeah, it, it's kind of weird because, you know, everybody's like, I want to build a rod to do everything. Well, you can't because it's, it's just impossible. Like you're going to have different sensitivities, different line weights, different, uh, you know, distance of throws and everything else. There's just a lot of different things going on there. And, and you know, to say, well, just go out and get a 12 weight saltwater rod to cast 10 or 12 hours a day off the front of a bass boat or a sled or a raft. That's, that's asking somebody to take something that's really meant for, we got five chances to do this. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you know, you're going to peel all your line out. You're going to haul, 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 haul. And then you're going to lay out. It, it's the two totally different things. And I, I, I know that there's folks out there that make custom rods, but the major manufacturers still haven't got on it. And, and they really have that affordability spectrum, you know, because they have the tooling, the equipment, the R&D, everything else. But they're like, yeah, you want you want a 12 weight? You're going to have to go with our salt rod. Sorry, bud. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and that's what I've heard because I have not fly fished the salt. But um, what I've heard about permit and um, and tarpon and GTs, you know, that's where you're often using those big, big rods. It, you know, you might be five or six hours that you're out with a guide and you don't cast, you know, and then, but you got to be ready. And then when you see one, you cast. And so you might have an entire day where you have presented a fly under 10 times, you know, whereas with muskie, yeah, I mean, 10 minutes, you have presented a fly maybe 20 times, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just very, very different, but that, that was something I realized having a 12 weight that's probably more for salt water is that, hey, this, this, this is not fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. So those are the flies that I liked, uh, that I liked the most. Um, and I change, you know, I mean, I tie flies, I designed some flies. Um, but usually if I designed it, and especially if it goes through a uh, wholesaler, I have a batch of them, so I don't feel the need to keep tying them unless somebody, you know, pings me and says, John, I want you to tie me one. Um, but like a lot of my stuff, like high and tight is the one I first caught a muskie on. I, I may have 300 of those. <laughs> so I just, you know, I don't feel compelled to, to tie one today. Whereas, you know, I may not have a 15 inch mega glider in, you know, sunset. So maybe I want to tie that. And, it, and of course, too, I've got to be like super interested um, in tying it, you know, and the interest usually comes from not having a lot or not having enough. Whereas, you know, with some of my stuff, I've got every color, 
I've got three different sizes. They're in Tupperware <laughs> in a shelf. And, uh, you know, when it's time to go, I'll, I'll, I'll take them out. But I don't always need to tie. Um, I don't always need to tie everything. I go on kicks just like everyone else. Like right now, I seem to be on a smallmouth kick. And I've been doing um, a lot of the stuff that uh, Schultz pushes on 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 his rivers, like fleeing craze and fleeing minnows and game changers and woodsmen. Like I, I love those for my rivers too. I just scale them down a little bit um, and I use a little less weight than they often use because where I'm fishing, I'm usually waiting and uh, the, the water's just not that deep. And so I just, you know, I, I will adjust almost any fly to, to my watershed so that I can fish it. And that's, that's the beauty of tying your own flies. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah, absolutely. Um, from size to um, flash to weight, you know, I mean, a lot of times you, you will love the fly designer, but you know, the, the way that they have designed it may not be for the particular watershed that you're fishing in your region. And so maybe you've got to change it slightly. Maybe you fish it differently, you know, your retrieve, or maybe you have to change it slightly. So I find as a weighting angler, if my flies are too heavy, they're too heavily weighted, I'm always having to burn them back to keep from hanging them up. Um, even though I tie, I don't like to walk through a fishy spot to get a fly back. And, um, you know, there are some, there's some seams where I can't get over there anyway. The current's too strong. The current's too deep. Uh, the water's too deep, you know, and I won't be able to free it. But there are times where it's like, yeah, I could probably free this fly, but I just got here and I know they're fish. I see them boiling. Um, I'm going to break it off. If I can't free, I'm going to break it off and town another one. And then inevitably, when you walk over there, that fly has drifted downstream. Like, dude, you were so <laughs> heavy that I couldn't even like, I couldn't even let it hit the water and strip it three times before you hung up. But you have somehow tumbled 100 yards downstream. <laughs> But yeah, typically I will not blow up a spot if I if I'm relatively certain that there are fish there to get a fly back, unless it's like, I don't know, um, anything I tie once I can tie it twice. So you know, I'm even even like a beautiful game changer. Uh, and if I lose it, I lose it. You know, if if, if I think I can catch fish out of there, I do not want to blow up that spot. Mm -hmm. So are you fishing? Are you fishing intermediates or are you fishing full sinks or not, not necessarily just like when you're waiting, but um, what are some of the lines you're kind of using? For Lake Michigan harbors, I will use uh, sinking. So I use Airflow Streamer Max Short um, 240 or 280. And uh, that's a sink eight. Uh, and you need that because the water is, is, is deep. And um, for my rivers, in the springtime, like if I can get out in April, the flows may not be safe enough in March for me to try to go to my smallmouth rivers because they could be pretty raging. Um, but like April and May, I will often do a floating line, a little bit longer leader and medium or large dumbbell eyes or like a tungsten scud body because even in May, like May of last year, I needed waders. Like I could not wet wade in early May of last year. It was freaking freezing. And so um, I can't burn that fly back because they're not going to eat it. And so I found myself using a floating line, weighted fly, and kind of almost like nymph stripping where you're, you know, just kind of like 
keeping contact with it, but you're almost letting it move with the current and you're slowly stripping it. And then in the summertime, I will go to usually an intermediate. I have Airflow, Beach, and I use um, Essays, Titan Taper, um, Intermediate. And then, of course, obviously for Dahlbergs, uh, which I like in the heat of the summer uh, when it's low and clear, I, I use a floating. So, I mean, I use all three. Now for musky, um, I, maybe I'm a bit of a, uh, a masochist. Like I tend to fish lakes, <laughs> fly fish lakes for musky. I don't know enough about um, the river game yet for musky to know that it's quote unquote easier. That's what I've heard from several guides. And I think it's just because during the float, you will definitely pass by a musky and a musky will probably have seen your fly. Whereas on a lake, you could easily fish a lake all day and just not be in the area or at the depth. And you could easily fish a lake all day and a muskie has not seen your fly, depending, well, on, depending on what it's like. Yeah, and, and, and to follow up on that, it, it comes down to sheer volume of water and movement of fish, right? So yeah. a lake, uh, okay, uh, with the exceptions, you have Mille Lacs, you have Michigan, you have Superior, you have, you know, like you were talking about Wolf Lake or, or you know, large bodies of water where you know either it's reservoired out of a river system or it's very large where you have just lots of area to fish in general we start thinking about lakes and some people have a different perception of what lakes are some lakes are really big some lakes are very small yeah you know and and so you talk about that condensing of, of uh ability to fish on a river things are coming and going and they can go anywhere. You have creeks that they can trip into and main stems and, you know, all this other stuff, you know, that's, that's the whole thing. And, and, you know, at, at Folly of what Lake Michigan is that basically you have an estuary system where these, these rivers are emptying into, which is just a, you know, a, a blossom of life. You know, you talked about alewives before and, and things like that, you know, rough fish, bait fish, however you want <clears throat> to know what they are you know, the, a river really does have a lot of provisional differences, especially with uh, area of water and where fish can be versus the lake. And um, I mean, have you, have you river fished for the muskie heavily? No, no, I have not. Uh, the only couple of times I've done it, I was waiting. And so you're just not covering a lot of water. You know, you're, you're, you're lucky to cover, you know, sometimes I'm lucky to cover a couple hundred yards, depending on the river. Um, whereas you can, you know, obviously you can do several miles on a float. Um, but yeah, so anything with rivers and musky, it's, it's more hearsay for me. You know, I have to like, listen to what my friends have told me. And uh, the ones that fish both have just said that at least with a river, they feel like they have presented to a musky, whether it was interested or not is a different story but they probably drifted past one and had a shot. Whereas um, a lot of lakes, people feel like if you don't know what you're doing, you could easily spend the whole day and just never be near one. Yeah. Uh, and so in lakes I do uh, thinking because then I, for the most part, I feel like I can vary the depth with the speed of the retrieve or with counting down. And occasionally, you know, when I throw top water, I'll do intermediate um, because those big musky um, sized foam blocks, 
an intermediate can't pull that down, you know, no. like it, it'll, <laughs> it'll angle it down. But, but like my, um, like my airflow, I do have a streamer max short 380 for the 10 weight. Um, I, the, even those blocks, they won't stay up. Like after about four or five strips, they just won't return to the surface. So, um, I would use the intermediate and I've got a 450 grain intermediate for, uh, for, uh, for that, but I've only done it a couple of times. I, I like the way it looked. And, um, uh, one of my buddies said like it produced something under us. I was, I mean, he was, I remember he was on a conference call and, uh, he was running the, his, uh, his sonar and he was just watching me and it was flat calm and it was just the boof, the boof, the boof. And 10 minutes into this, he just, he, he, he hit mute and he turned to, turned to me and said, um, dude, something big is here. And, uh, it just showed up and I thought, well, it's making a lot of noise, but we never got it to, you know, we never got it to come up and grab it. Um, so I've only done it a couple of times. I, I have a lot of friends that have goals for, you know, I want to get one on top water. I'm like, you know, I just want to catch a few in a year. That's, that's my next goal. Um, it's to have multiple, multiple successful outings where I boat them. That that's my next goal. Nice. That's a good goal to have, John. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. John, you know, uh, we're, we're coming up on the hour here. We're, we're a little past this and it's fine. Um, you know, uh, man, you got some awesome stuff going on though. And, and that's one of the cool things is like, between the smallies, the musky, you got some good trips planned. It sounds like everything else. Um, what are you looking most forward to coming into this, uh, this next year? You know, uh, this year, I would say that's probably my number one thing is multiple musky, you know, um, uh, more fishing with Dave. Cause we got out, uh, I think we got out three times this past fall and we just have a blast like we are we are definitely like brothers from another mother and we enjoy fishing together so um if i can you know i have family in grand rapids my wife is from grand rapids so you know visiting her dad um if i can get over to st Clair some you know more often like when i go to michigan like plan a day where i can run over and meet him there um or if we can meet down at webster in indiana um, which we've done a couple of times that'll work. But I think that's, that's, that's probably my number one is, you know, can I, can I get like three or four this year? And, uh, then my number two is just more, more smallies just because they, they just, they put a smile on your face. You know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're never not fun, you know, <laughs> like never, even dinkers kind of give you a little excitement when you first set the hook. So, um, th- those are the main things. And of course, imbe- you know, improving as a tire, you know, always getting better. The things that I cannot do well executing, you know, executing on that and having it come to fruition on the water, you know, with success of catching a fish. Absolutely. Dude, that's, that's awesome. And I, I hope you get, I hope you get way more than just two this year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, yeah. I, it's it's possible. I know it's possible. It just, man, thanks so much for taking time out of your evening and coming and talking to us. And dude, this was a lot of fun. And I know a lot more about you now. 
and that's awesome and uh i just hope uh man i hope you get just so many fish (laughs) (laughs) thanks man yeah yeah me too absolutely me too John, you deserve uh, double-digit fish, in in my opinion. You know, you're you're like three, four. I'm being modest. Yeah, you deserve double digits. You put in a lot of work. You do. You got some great stuff going on. And you know, uh, there again, reiterate what John says. You know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. We really appreciate you taking time. You got the kids. You got the family. Everything else, and you just taking this hour to talk to us. Uh, it's a real privilege. Oh, you bet. It was a pleasure meeting you guys, and. Uh... And and thanks for for having me on. I'm honored to have been on this podcast. Oh man, well it was our honestly our pleasure having you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, folks. Well, that wraps it up for this podcast. John, you want to run through those sponsors one more time so these good yeah. people can go blow all their money on our sponsors. Yeah, Brian, absolutely. <laughs> this episode of Working Class Fishing is brought to you by CD Fishing USA. Anadromous Fly Company, Mr. Sure Care Naughty Tackle, Lid Rig, Angry Rooster Fly Company, and 317 Flies. Everybody go check out our sponsors. But before you do that, go check out John at flatplane underscore crank on Instagram. Go follow him. Check out everything he's doing. And uh, show him some love, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, go check out John for sure. And if you want more information, if you're having a hard time finding John, you can always find us on IG at Working Class Fishing Podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, you know that we're here on YouTube. Uh, and if you're listening to us on your favorite listening platform, you know where to find us. But if this is your first time and you have another platform, you can find us on all the major listening platforms or you can come see what we all look like on YouTube. So Make sure, check out our sponsors, check out John, check out everybody else. And until next time, everybody, thank you so much for watching or listening. Hope you guys all have a wonderful day.